With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk Rainbow Soul. Okay. Well, it is June 16th, 2015, and it's more or less 6 p.m. As many of you know, I have some technical challenges, and I'm working through those. Well, tonight's topic is a real doozy. It's who needs to know? Who needs to know? And most people don't understand that the healthcare industry in the United States, even though it is a $3 trillion behemoth, uh, is exclusively dependent on a very small number of people, none of whom, by the way, are elected. Uh, They're self-nominated, as a matter of fact. And these people, if they knew, if they knew how dangerous medicine was, in a blink, the whole system would just simply crumble. Irrespective of any legislation, unrelated to any um, special subsidies the government might decide to put forth, but the system would simply crumble. And so this topic occurred to me because so many people would email me and say, oh, Dr. Daniels, it's so futile. We can't do anything. We're so powerless. And I said, of course not. You can do quite a bit. In fact, I dare say, if any one person devoted themselves to shutting down a hospital, they could shut down easily, I would say, one hospital a year. You need some focus. You do need some concentration. So tonight, I'm going to tell you who needs to know. Who needs to know in order to shut down your local hospital? And what do they need to know? Why do they need to know it? And why do they need to know? How come it's not going to be helpful to say someone else knows? So you need to understand. So once you understand who needs to know, why they need to know, what they need to know, and why they need to know it, then your job actually becomes pretty simple. And I'd say a budget of $300 would probably really close any hospital. And that is what I want to do tonight, give people some hope. Um, you know, 880,000 Americans being killed every year by the medical industrial complex uh, can be prevented. It can certainly be tremendously mitigated uh, without much investment at all financially and um, without writing your congressman or even casting a vote for that matter. So, 
that's a few tidbits of information to kind of help help you get a little more excited. So the medical industrial complex is actually a major cause of death. Literally 40% of Americans each year who drop dead drop dead because of the medical care they received, not for lack of it. And as of 2010, it was a $2.8 trillion industry. And as we speak, it's certainly over $3 trillion. And one online source has it at $3.8 trillion. Uh, I guess that's a possibility. But anyway, it's a lot of money. And so if you divide, say, $3 trillion by a number of people murdered, then it's really about um, you know, $3.4 million per killing, which is a pretty good take uh, when you think about it. <laughs> and murder pays. Um, the average hospital, more or less, collects about $200 million a year. These numbers are interesting, and you actually may find them useful. Um, but the thing to understand is when you're dealing with this kind of money, and this is a whole lot of money, you're not going to um, have any success with a frontal approach, so to speak. So you've got to be very, very strategic about it. So what do these people need to know? What do they need to know? So... This is very easy and simple to master. And this is uh, information um, provided by our friends, the uh, HRAQ people. I'm sorry, AHRQ. And that's the Healthcare Research Quality People, which is actually an arm of the U.S. government. So they, have, they have special .gov uh, back of in their, in their email address. But according to them, 8% to 16% of, of hospital admissions are unnecessary. And so the important thing to grasp here is if the admission is unnecessary, then the care received during the admission is unnecessary. And the reason 8%, and this is the lowest number, so we're going to use numbers that are the most possible favor, favorable to hospitals. 8% of hospital admissions are unnecessary, totally unnecessary, of no benefit possibly to the patient. And the significance of this is 4.8% of hospital revenue is profit. And to close a hospital then, you really need to reduce revenue by 4.8%. Okay? So if unnecessary hospital admissions were eliminated, in any hospital market, in any hospital, that hospital would have to close. And so the hospital has to misrepresent to people that they need to be admitted when actually they don't. Because the patients don't make the decision to be admitted, just by the way. And um, I've worked the emergency room at hospitals. And as a doctor in the emergency room, you are... Um, under pressure, uh, I guess that would be the word, but you're encouraged, is a better term, to admit people. Well, better safe than sorry. But there are cases, of course, when obviously the person just doesn't really need to be admitted. So what I'm saying then is if a hospital were to diligently manage these cases so as to not admit people to the hospital unnecessarily, you could call it fleecing the insurance, but whatever, then they would be out of business. Out of business, no question. All right, let's go to the next category. next category is people who are harmed by their admission. And 27% of people are harmed by their admission. In other words, better had they stayed home. And this number comes from the uh, Medicare report on hospital harm. Now, they split the harm up into permanent harm, temporary harm, but it's harm. And 27% of these, so if these people had not been harmed then and had not been admitted, then another 27% revenue out, out the window. And again, only it takes 4.8% reduction in revenue for a hospital to close. This is on average. Now, so the total revenue loss, if a hospital eliminated unnecessary, dangerous, oh, excuse me, we didn't talk about deadly. So 1% of people admitted to a hospital, on average, 
die as a result of the care they received in the hospital. However, they represent five times the billings, the average billings of that hospital. So in other words, people who are killed at a hospital provide at least 5% of the revenue of that hospital. So if a hospital put into the program to eliminate killings, to stop killing people who are admitted to the hospital due to medical intervention, again, they would have to close because that 1%, when eliminated, eliminates 5% of revenue and profit is only 4.8. So if we take a look at this then, we can see that uh, 27% of the revenue is garnered when people are harmed, 5% when they are killed, that's 32, and 8% is unnecessary, that's 40%. So 40% of the revenue of a hospital would be lost if it eliminated unnecessary, dangerous, or deadly admissions and the activities that go with them. And so these people who are critical to the healthcare system work tirelessly with great devotion, enthusiasm, and often actually not very much pay. Uh, And they support the system. And if they knew, what I just told you, if they knew that hospitals can never be safe, and if they were, they would close the fact. So if any of these areas of hospital activity were curtailed, the hospital would cease to be profitable. So the next question these people need to know, because they're, they're going to ask you, you tell them this, they're going to ask you this. Well, doesn't the hospital benefit the community? So I Google this, hospitals benefiting community. Do you believe I couldn't find a single supporting article? I was shocked. I thought at least they'd make it up. <laughs> Not a single article. But what I did find was there was a, a I call a, a weak uh, weak defense, and this is uh, in Detroit. And apparently, in areas that are poor, what they are doing is calling hospital tax breaks into question. So they're doing that to say, "Hey, these, these hospitals aren't really benefiting the community. We're going to take away the tax breaks." So now you have a hospital. It's generating $200 million a year of revenue, for Christ's sake. Don't you think they should at least say, we benefit our patients, the patients who come here benefit? Don't you think they could at least offer that as a defense? No, not one, not one. So this is a a top story. This is a business uh, paper in Detroit, Crane's Detroit Business, and this is what they say. So nonprofit hospitals in some parts of the country have faced a backlash over the past 30 years as to whether the amount of charitable and community benefits they provide justifies continuation of exemption of a variety of taxes, including sales, property, income, and revenue bonds. Oh, that's a slap in the face to have citizens borrow money. <coughs> and so several nonprofit hospitals in Metro Chicago, Pittsburgh, and other localities have lost property tax exemption because they fail to provide enough community benefits. Well, let's see what they think of as a community benefit. And so they mentioned the IRS uh, wanting taxes on hospitals to do more than for-profit hospitals in providing community benefits. So you still think, well, golly geez, what is a community benefit? And so healthcare reform could reduce the amount of hospitals uncompensated care and remove the original reason for the tax exemption. It's ostensibly they were providing uh, charitable care. Now, being having practiced medicine as a physician and having been on medical staff of a private community hospital, um, I was mailed the annual report for the hospital every year. And I had heard this excuse that uh, hospitals are giving charity care, giving free care. Again, we're looking at $200 million. And so the question is, who, where's the bad debt? Where's the charity happening here? And I was floored to see that there was $1 million in bad debt. That means patients they took care of who did not pay. But 
there is like $25 million in contractual allowances. So those of you who speak English probably don't know what a contractual allowance is. That means people who paid their premiums to the health insurance company, their bills were actually not paid because the health insurance company negotiated a reduced amount and negotiated with the hospital that, hey, you know what, we just don't have to pay this $26 million because you want our business. And so the hospital basically gave $26 million of charity to the insurance companies and only $1 million to private people who couldn't pay. And then you look at the other line on the um, annual report, and people with no insurance, no insurance, dug into their pockets the tune of 10 to $15 million. And so literally it was a transfer of wealth from the uninsured people to the insurance companies. Absolutely shocking. So actually what the hospital became was a wealth transfer from the poor people in the community who were paying their hospital bills, 100 pennies on a dollar, to these insurance companies who had negotiated discounts. So that was that's what's really going on. And so these people who write these articles, of course, haven't uh, checked under the rug, so to speak, or under the bed to see what's going on. Okay, so we've established that hospitals are not giving charity care. Me, through observation, direct observation, and this writer through the supposition that um, the Affordable Health Care Act is going to be compensating these cares. Okay, so what you're saying then is, okay, so a study of 1,800 not-for-profit hospitals in the April 2013 issue of the New England Journal of Medicine found, on average, not-for-profits spent 7.5% of their operating income on community benefits in 2009. And it ranged from 20% to 1%. But wait, but wait, what is a hospital benefit? A hospital benefit is health professional education. It's educating a doctor to make sure he practices and makes decisions in a way that's profitable for the hospital. Okay. Next is research. Well, research is compensated compensated by grants and various other activities. So this is not this not charitable. And contributions to community groups. It's pretty vague. Now the remaining community benefit expenditures, five point three percent were devoted to health improvements that included health screening. Well what's health screening but marketing? You're looking for disease and trying to convince people who are healthy that after they're screened they're really not healthy and to get them to consume care that we know is of little or no benefit to them. So health screenings is not charitable. It's simply good marketing. And public health education. Again, educating your consuming market, your potential customers to help them consume more. None of this is uh, is, is beneficial. I mean, I thought, gee whiz, you know, maybe they would build a playground. Maybe they would increase survival in a particular disease category. Um, you know, maybe they would benefit their patients. But nothing nothing here about the patient. So this is really shocking. And so so this guy's um Henry Ford with I guess the Ford Foundation says we will set plans on where to invest money into the community based on highest needs and um blah blah blah. But the point here is that the hospitals had nothing to say for themselves. Nothing to say um, in terms of their contribution. They had no strong strong defense. I mean, this is shocking. So, based on this lack of uh, lack of supporting information, or I should say, this the supporting information, uh, it's reasonable to estimate that of the people who go to the hospital, first of all, we've told medical school half of everything we're taught is false, right? So and half of everything is still false, at least. Probably a lot more, but I'll give the balance of the doubt half. 
So half of all people are admitted to the hospital based on false pretenses. Got to be, right? Because the data is false. So that's 50% that can't possibly benefit from their care. Um, we have above, we know that 40% uh, are harmed by their care. Now you could add the 40 and 50, come up with 90% harmed and only maybe 10% benefit, but I'll be more generous than that. I'll say that of the 50%, 40% fall in the categories above. So we're going to allow that maybe 30% of the uh, people admitted to the hospital might possibly benefit from their experience. Well, that's pretty awful. And so this is what these people need to know. What they need to know is that at least 60% of people going to the hospital are defrauded, at least. And that is, that, that's, that's very, very important. So once you grasp that then, so this is, this is the basic information that these people need to know. Okay, next thing we need to know is who are these people and what do they do? Well, these people are the philanthropists. These people are the fundraisers. Now, this became um, clear to me, actually really early on, uh, back in the 80s. So in 19, it's been 1986, I found myself in... Belcourt, North Dakota. Yes, sorry, Bob. <laughs> a desolate, desolate place. And uh, I guess it was Barcourt. Barcourt, North Dakota was trying to start a hospital. And they had five hospital beds in this hospital. And there was incredible plans for expansion. And they just really couldn't get off the ground. They're trying to get things going. And what they needed was they needed... Um, local businesses to really put in tremendous sums of money to fund the hospital and to you know set up an endowment so they could build buildings. And they were having a hard time raising the money, not because people didn't want to do it, but because, well, Barcourt, North Dakota is pretty deserted. So this is the challenge every hospital has, no matter what their location. They have um, volunteers, they have fundraisers, they have board of directors. And these are the people who need to know. Why do they need to know? They need to know because philanthropy accounts for anywhere from 1.5% to 18% of hospital revenue. Aha, uh-huh. there you go. That's right, that's right. So if these people who are major givers of hospitals and philanthropists and fundraisers knew that their hospital had to kill people, had to harm people, and had to defraud people just in order to stay in business, they would probably not get involved in fundraising. And and this is and these fundraisers are, are ardent volunteers. They are concerned about their community. They want to be helpful. They want to make people healthy. Uh, you know, the incredible kindness in their heart and sincerity. I mean, it would just really just blow you away. And these people put their money and their time behind this uh, misguided belief. And they... Um, not only do they have dinners and fundraisers, which is nice, but they leave their fortune to the hospital. They bequeath everything they own to the hospital. These people um, lobby their politicians tirelessly. I mean, you think that you have written letters to your politicians? You can't hold a candle to the average person who's lobbying to get a, a hospital built in their area. It is really a 24-7 commitment. And these are the people who need to know. And if these people knew, then these people, just by staying home, just by stepping back, just by leaving the money to the grandkids instead, or who knows, the Save the Dog, Stray Dog Foundation, whatever, 
instead of leaving it to the hospital, would literally change the whole face of healthcare in America. And a hospital, no matter how big or how small, has an incredible need for this philanthropy. Another thing that really tipped me off that how critical this was, was I was in medical practice in Syracuse, New York. And I practiced there for 10 years. And I had patients, you know, some were wealthy, some middle class, and some were poor. Okay. So I this one lady in my practice who was incredibly well-groomed. I mean, she, her hair was perfect, her makeup was perfect, everything you know, she was just really well put together. And personally, I just put on whatever, you know, used clothing I had and just put my white jacket over it and just didn't worry about it. <laughs> so I was always fascinated by people who could get everything together all at one time, you know, the hair and the clothes and everything else and the makeup. So anyway, um, I found out over time, you know, she's a, a nice lady. We got on really well. We chatted a lot. Is that she was a hospital fundraiser and she was, dedicated, the hospital assigned her, dedicated her to raising funds for this one pediatric cancer unit, period. And they paid her, this was way back in the dark ages, this is the 90s now, $75,000 a year. You can imagine what fundraisers might be getting paid now in 2015. Even if it's still $75,000, it's, it's a pretty good chunk of change. So... um Fundraisers are very well paid. Um, every hospital has one. And so then, um, well, that was after I was in medical practice. But while I was in medical school, I had a good friend, and she had an incredible need for money because she was putting her husband through a Ph.D. program, another super, super nice lady. And she finally managed to get together, finally started earning money and more money and more money, and they were able to go from a medium-sized house to a larger house. And it just went really well. I said, Sue. Oh, it's not so you're happy, you're doing so well, and this is wonderful, and, and you don't have to struggle anymore. And, and what are you doing? Oh, I'm in charge of fundraising. I designed the uh, $300 ticket or $500 ticket balls for the hospital. And Susan, if you sat down and talked to her, was just very concerned about people, a positive person, very charitable, um, always wanting to help. And she was so thrilled that she couldn't be a doctor, but by golly, she could help by raising money. And this is the spirit of these people. They are absolutely devoted. They work tirelessly. The hospital might pay them for 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week, whatever, but they're working 24-7 day and night. And they make sure the invitations are okay and the calligraphy is fine and the decorations on the table. I didn't know how much went into planning a $500 ticket ball. Of course, I you know, just didn't really have much knowledge of that, although I did, from my hospital, um, go to uh, the, the ball. I would go uh, once a year when I needed to meet people or something. So these are the people. So, so every hospital has a fundraiser. Now, they're not called fundraiser because that would be pretty darn tacky. They're called... Um, the head of the foundation, use the word foundation. Uh, they're called the director of philanthropy, um, the director of giving, and there's all kinds of uh, giving, or donations or supporters or whatever. So these are the people who are literally the work engine of the hospital. And they generate, again, depending on the hospital, between 1% and 18% of the hospital revenue. But what you don't see is they're the ones making the calls behind the scenes, lobbying the politicians, making sure the hospital gets the support, making sure the hospital gets this political bill passed. And they are just tireless with it. And so if these people, and there aren't that many of them, because there's only... 5,600 hospitals in the whole United States. So there aren't that many of these people. And every hospital has at most a cadre of 10. 10 supporters like this would keep a, uh, a multi-million dollar hospital going. Now, so those are the people, director of, director of development. Now, there's another person in the hospital who's pivotal. And this is a chief financial officer. Yes, chief financial officer. 
philanthropists are interesting people. Uh, you can say, well, Dr. Dan, you might as well send me to a banker. No, not true. A chief financial officer is somebody who has a CPA, maybe an MBA, all that sort of stuff, and they decided that they want to make a difference. No, they don't want to go work for a bank. They don't want to go to work for Wall Street. They want to help people. They want to do something positive. And so they're so excited about being a chief financial officer for the hospital. And these people are very, very gung-ho. How do I know? Because I've met them. I'm just absolutely blown away, shocked. So check out the chief financial officer for your local hospital. Now, this is a person, if they knew, if they knew, they'd probably walk off the job. They would probably walk right off the job, even though they are well-paid, but they're highly skilled. They could earn as much or even more money um, on Wall Street or working for a bank. And they're like, I'd rather work for a bank than work for something that's murdering 40% of Americans. So the chief financial officer, pivotal, pivotal, pivotal. He's got the director of the foundation, fundraisers, the uh, chief financial officer. Who else is there? The board of directors. Now, this is a little bit tricky, the board of directors. Board of directors um, in a hospital is composed of usually uh, 8 to 20 people. And these people are, I would say, equally split. Half of them are representative of drug companies, hospital suppliers, the people who do the winning for the hospital at a very inflated price, people who provide food services at the hospital, providing um, basically institutional grade, low grade food that would make a healthy person sick. So there's a group of people on the board who are there to protect the interests of suppliers and such who profit handsomely from the hospital. The hospital might have a 4.8% profit margin, but you bet your bippy that these people on the board do not. These other um, members of the board are there to protect their financial interests and drain the hospital as much as possible. Don't waste your breath talking to those people. <laughs> don't, don't even bother. But every hospital board has what's called a community representative. And the community representative is a person who goes and sits at the hospital board meeting and listens to try to understand how they can cast their vote, how they can influence hospital proceedings in such a way as to make the hospital um, a more positive force in the community, either for getting better health care, usually getting better health care, or, unfortunately, sometimes for more employment of local citizens. And the thing is, with a hospital, you have to stick very narrowly or closely to the goal of benefiting and healing people. If you stay very close to that in terms of talking to people about the hospital, then you'll get the biggest effect and they will get the biggest comprehension. You'll have the greatest influence. The problem is people get confused and they think of, the, okay, the hospital is a, a big employer. Um, the hospital generates um, tax revenue because the people they employ all get a W-2 and um, these, this is the way the hospital helps. The hospital helps by screening people and convincing them they have diseases that they don't have. So if you just say, no, 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 the hospital's here to improve the health of individuals. Let's take a look at the individuals who use the hospital. Is their health improved? If their health is not improved, if the hospital is not benefiting people, then it should not have our support. You don't even need to say it should close. You can just say it should not have our support because these people provide so much support to the hospital that without their support, the hospital's profit would quickly evaporate. And so these are the people they need to know. They need to know. And if you're concerned, you need to tell them. You need to communicate with them. Okay, so we've got that person on the board of directors. Now, who else is on the board of directors of hospitals? Big donors. And their big donors generally are businesses. And this is a little bit tricky, too. So you have to go look and see. Most um, hospitals, the board of directors, the list of who they are, public records. 
And so there are some people who are business owners and who develop, who devote tremendous amount of their money to the hospital. They also pay their employees full-time pay and let them take the day off to um, work or volunteer at the hospital. And so these are these are the people that you want to reach. These people who are giving tremendously of their money and their time, they need to know. They need to know that um, their efforts are actually going to harm people and to kill people. And they have a pretty soft stomach, and they would this would really affect them. Um, who else is on the board? Sometimes um, there are doctors' wives. Uh, don't even bother to talk to them. <laughs> don't waste your breath. Don't waste the ink from your pen. Do not, do not, do not, do not. Because a lot of times these women have spent a tremendous many years in their lives putting this guy through medical school. And there's something called moral calculus, not compass, calculus. And whenever someone says, well, we have to do some moral calculus, you know that you're in danger, you need to excuse yourself and leave. What is this? In medical school, we are taught that we need to calculate how many people would die and how many lives would be saved. And so if a particular procedure or drug would kill, say, 20 people, but save 25 lives, then, of course, the drug should be approved, naturally. Not only should it be approved, but we doctors should be prescribing it because it's going to save more lives than it kills. That's calculus. That means you do a calculation. So you don't just take the person in front of you and say, hey, is this drug going to help or harm this person? No, 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 no. You say, well, on average, this drug is going to kill a few people and it's going to save a few people. It's going to save more than it kills, and so we're going to, you know, go with it. All right. So the doctor's wives are familiar with this type of calculation. And so... Um, she's well aware that the hospital kills a few people and that's okay because on average it's going to save more than it kills. This is, this is the basic mindset. And even better than that, it's paying off her husband's educational loans, darn it, and how else are they going to pay it off? And so you have all these considerations that are taken into account that are not the considerations of what's happening to the person receiving care at that hospital. Is that hospital benefiting the people who are receiving care at that hospital? When you get into this discussion of, well, we want to get more Medicaid funds into the community, we want to get more revenue moving this way and that moving that way, then, you know, the, the discussion is lost. And all of a sudden you say, well, each dead life is worth a million dollars, and as long as the hospital is taking $3 million for each person they kill, you don't want to even enter that discussion. What you want is to keep the conversation narrowly focused on the need to kill, need to harm, and the need to defraud. And you can say to these kind-hearted people, well, they're all kind-hearted people, uh, you know, do you think it's really okay for your son to be killed and your daughter defrauded so that the next one can just be harmed. You know, is is this really the way you want your family to be treated? And and that's, that's the way you have to put it to them, that a lot of people are being killed, a lot of people are being harmed, a lot of people are being defrauded. You know, the next time you go to the emergency room, do you want that doctor to say, yes, you need to be admitted, when you really don't, because he's got to financially support the hospital? Is, is that... Is that what you're supporting? Is that the kind of atmosphere you want to create? And they're going to have to think about that. And you can also give them these figures and have them go talk to their chief financial officer of the hospital and take a look at their numbers. And this, these numbers are knowable. What do I mean by knowable? I mean the hospital knows them and is at liberty by law to share them only with a very small number of people if it so chooses. And so these heavy hitters can go to their hospital and ask their hospital for these numbers. When the hospital says, I don't want to give you those numbers, that's pretty much their answer. 
And so you can just you give a soft pedal. Hey, look, this is the industry standard. And if our hospital is operating at industry standard, this is what's going on there. And they'll say, no, no, can't be, can't be. You say, well, you know what? Go ask the chief financial officer. Go ask the risk manager. And see if these numbers are how different our hospital is. And they may come up with it. You've got an outstanding hospital in your neighborhood. Maybe your hospital only gets 15% of its revenue from uh, killing, mutilation, and deception. But again, they have to ask themselves, is that what they want? Is that what they want? And so who else needs to know? So the board of directors, and you have to really scour the board of directors, and you have to look at, okay, who are they employed by? And that'll give you your first clue as to whether they would even be approachable. And somebody here in the chat room says, uh, they... It's a bit tricky to extricate yourself from the fundraising crowd. No, do not extricate yourself from the fundraising crowd. That's the point. You want to involve and engage the fundraising crowd. And you want to encourage them to fundraise. Just raise funds for something else. You know, it's like it's like you tell any any woman involved in, in prostitution or whatever, hey honey, get an honest job. I mean, you can be a little more subtle about that. But say them, what do you know? Are you aware of this? And don't even suggest that they should stop raising funds for the hospital. Let them figure it out. You know, just give them the information and talk to them about it and say you're concerned and 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 do they have a plan for that and and how's that being addressed? You know, kind of uh, whatever. And you can give them ten bucks here and there to keep them coming back so you can chat with them. But this eats away at them, preys upon their mind, preys upon their soul. And all you're looking for, you're not trying to convert anybody, but all you're trying to do is educate those who, if they had the knowledge, would behave differently. And that's all they have to do because we're dealing with very, very small numbers. You know, it's nothing for a fundraiser, a good one, to raise millions of dollars. And so... um, just influencing three or four key fundraisers for a particular hospital would do the trick. And you can even, if you're really dedicated to this, go to the hospital's fundraiser and you'll see the people, they'll show up and they'll be um, recognized and whatever, and that's who you need to that's who you need to reach. And those of you who go to churches, um, you know, you can give presentations at your church um, about ways to honor or memorialize a loved one and why making a donation to the uh, Search for the Cure Fund or the local hospital might not be um, a reasonable thing to do. So you have to realize or be creative or think along the lines of philanthropy. What I would do is... um, if that's what you want to do, is target one hospital. Target one hospital, focus your efforts. And if you even got a group of three to five people, you'll be shocked. You absolutely would be shocked about how easy it is to literally close a hospital. Most people have no idea how hard it is to open a hospital. <laughs> Once you know that, that that's a, a big piece of, inf- of information. The other thing about um, hospitals is because of all the... Um, special interests involved, the people who make the x-ray equipment, the people who supply the intravenous drugs, people who supply the equipment like the hospital beds, the people who build the hospital, the people, um, you know, the the doctors, the technicians, it's all these special interest groups. There's a tremendous amount of divisiveness um, at every stage of the way. And so it turns out that it's easy it's an uneasy coalition that can easily crumble. And so it's very, very hard to um, hold these hospitals together. It takes a tremendous amount of work and energy on the part of several people. So who needs to know? The philanthropy committee needs to know. Who needs to know? People who are leaving their money to the folks who have murdered them. Who needs to know? 
the board of directors. Who needs to know? Local businessmen who are supporting the hospital with every single spare dime and cash that they have. That's who needs to know. So we're ready for questions. We've got about 10 minutes left here. We have got lots and lots going on in the um, in the chat room. Let me check the telephone lines first, and then go back to the chat room. Okay, our telephone lines are quiet. Going back to the chat room. Here. Okay. All right, lots of questions here. How much more expensive is the United States healthcare system procedures compared to Western Europe and Eastern Europe? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I do know that um, healthcare is very expensive in the United States, really compared throughout the world. Okay. Next, <laughs> to honor the casualties, dedication bricks offer a wonderful way to honor or memorialize a loved one or celebrate and commemorate a special occasion in your life. Three sizes of bricks are available. So local hospitals in this person's area um, are actually selling bricks, uh, $50, $100, $150. And these uh, these programs you know, are you know, trying to basically hit everybody of whatever um, income level. And that's actually what they say, that you need to um, you need to diversify your philanthropy and hit the heavy hitters, medium, and the low budget and just really uh, try to get everybody in the community of whatever it means to, to donate. And there's all kinds of uh, incredible treaties online or written documents uh, advising hospitals on how to get more donations out of the community. Now, why would you want to do that? Get this. You have a hospital that has $200 million. And of the $200 million, it has $4.8 million in profit. So for every million dollars in profit, it literally has to provide $50 million of care. And so it's much easier to raise a million dollars when... You have the philanthropy department raising one or two million dollars, and you just go straight to the bottom line. It's much more efficient. So a million dollars of philanthropy is equivalent to providing fifty million dollars more of care. Okay. And so hospitals are actually being advised to go into the. Um, Philanthropy business. Okay. <laughs> so big fundraisers uh, are going on for a new surgical center in my area. We will not have to invent a universal need for a procedure. Possibly, but what's more likely to happen in your area is they're going to start inventing universal screening. And they're going to start designating people as needing surgery who are perfectly healthy. That's what we saw in uh, Syracuse, New York. Um, they built a cardiac center in Bag Alley. They went out into the neighborhood to find people. Um, they would do echoes right there on the spot, roll the machine to the old folks center, and say, oops, your heart needs surgery. Okay, we're scheduling all five of you from this center for Monday and Tuesday, and we'll get you all done. And then they go to another center and schedule both people and so on. And so, yeah, saving lives is not an issue, Dr. Daniels. We need jobs. That's correct. And so you can't get off on those tangents with those um, particular topics. You have to narrowly keep the subject on the benefit the hospital is providing or is not providing for the people who go there. Okay, how much does okay. So the you know, I used to think that healthcare in the United States was really expensive, it was so much pricier than other places, blah blah blah. And then I started looking more into the culture and understanding the culture and the pricing. 
The point of healthcare is not how expensive is it or is it not. The point of the healthcare is to financially devastate you. And so even though healthcare costs where I am in Panama are much, much, much less than in um, the United States, they are high enough that they literally ruin uh, the average person financially. And so that is that is the that's really the goal. And throughout the world, no matter where you live, the healthcare costs are high enough to ruin you. And that appears to be the goal. <laughs> okay. And so someone says they would rather go to a French or a German hospital. And that's a nice thing because, of course, it's tough to get there from the United States, and so you'll probably show up less often. <laughs> yeah, so it's really important, um, again, to reach these uh, these people. Uh, they're the ones that need to know. There's no need to write your politicians or congressmen. They they either already know or they don't feel obligated to to act on it. And so don't waste your breath. What about the chief of staff? The chief of staff's the absolute worst person. Don't even don't waste your breath with the chief of staff. The chief of staff has been heavily screened and that's why he is the chief of staff. They might intervene on a case-by-case basis to maybe take a patient out of the care of a particularly dangerous doctor and put them in the care of a less dangerous doctor, but that's about the size of it. And we do have our monthly office hours, and people can sign up for that at drjenniferdaniels.com. And at monthly office hours, people can get all kinds of questions that they may have about their personal medical conditions. And let me just do one more quick check over. Okay. All right, great. Well, we are done for tonight, and I will see you back next week with 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. So how to end your affair with the medical industrial complex. 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Okay, we will see you then, and go and sign up so we can keep you posted on the availability of vitality capsules. We expect to have them within the week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.